Our New Testament reading tonight is from the Gospel of Mark, uh, verses 1 through 11. Our text will be verses 1 and 2, but I want to read the, the whole section there so we can get kind of the context. We have just finished the chapter 13 where Christ was talking about the days to come, the latter days. Uh, and here we're talking now of more, the focus is going more and more to his coming death. Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning of verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves, and they said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it, has been, for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are thankful for your word. A word that is true, a word that never fails. A word that endures forever. And we can rest our very souls upon that word. Upon those promises that you have given us in Christ. And so we thank you now, Lord, and we ask that that word would bring light to our souls. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved people of God, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it said at some time or another, probably many times, that man proposes, but it is God who disposes. We all make our plans as what we want to happen in our lives, but God's the one who actually brings about what really comes to pass. History is not an impersonal cycle of events. Uh, history is not made by the, the great men and, and women of this world. History is simply the coming to reality of the eternal plan, the ordained counsel, the sovereign will of our God. As someone has said, history is really his story. That is the story of our God, or more specifically, the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the plan of God from all eternity is becoming a reality even as we attend worship here tonight. Because it's not man that makes history. It's God who makes history. Now, the Scriptures actually teach this in, in many different ways. Uh, you may have noticed in the Scriptures that there really is no such thing as chance in the Bible. Uh, even random events are attributed to the Lord. Uh, the lot is cast into the lap, uh, but it's every decision is from the Lord. 
the leaders that are in this world, they do not rule arbitrarily according to themselves, but actually they rule according to the sovereign will of God. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever He pleases. So God rules and He overrules the plans of man to bring about His will. You might remember, you know, Absalom rebelled against his father, right? David. And he thought that the advice of Hushai, who if you remember was really uh, David's spy, he thought that advice was better than the advice of Ahithophel. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of Ahithophel. Why? Well, the next verse says, For the Lord had purpose to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. So God overruled what was really the better advice of Ahithophel to go after David immediately in order to bring about the death of Absalom. And all of this just kind of goes to uh, illustrate that God is always the one who's in control. Man proposes, but God disposes. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And for all the great accomplishments of man, for all that we have done in this world, we still have to admit, whether we believe it or not, that we have never, ever been. We are not now, nor will we ever be, in control of the events of history. Man does not make history. Man does not shape history. And in our text tonight, we have a clear example of this very thing. Man is making his plans. Plans against the Lord's anointed. Man is rebelling against God once again. Man likes to think that he's in control of whatever's going to happen and when it's going to happen. But of course, man cannot thwart the sovereign plan and will of God. And so my theme for tonight, for the first two verses of Mark 14, is that the religious leaders gather together to plan the death of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at two points. First of all, in verse 1, the means of His death. They're planning how they're going to do this. And then second, the timing of His death, when they want this to occur. Now the first thing that we're told in the text is that the day of Passover, uh, the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is drawing near. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This means the Passover is just two days away from here. And that means that the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross, the atoning sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the one who will take away the sin of the world, the event that all history has been leading up to, is fast approaching. It is near. It is even at the door. Now, we, we often speak of Christ and we, we speak of His three offices. We see in the Scriptures that the Lord Jesus, He's revealed Himself as our prophet, our priest, and our king. And up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, we, we have seen the emphasis really kind of being on Jesus as our prophet. He is the one who has come from God. He's bringing the truth of God to His people. And He's proclaiming that truth. Along the way, though, we've also seen how Jesus has been our king. He, he rules over His people. He brings justice. He brings to, truth to a, a world that's fallen in sin. And, and so we've seen here by the words and by the miracles that He has performed as we've been making our way through the Gospel of Mark that these things are true. But right now, really in the rest of Mark, we're going to see that the emphasis on Christ is as our great High Priest. 
I mean, not that we haven't seen that before and and not that Jesus will not show himself as a prophet or a king after this. But the point at this point here, the work that Christ is about to undertake as our great high priest, that is what comes to the forefront in the gospel message here. Jesus Christ is going to make atonement for the sins of his people. Jesus Christ is going to offer up his life as a sacrifice for the sake of his people. Jesus Christ is going to do the work of a high priest for our sakes and for our salvation. And yet what is so remarkable here about this whole thing is that God uses the devices and the plans of wicked men to bring about the salvation of his people. God uses men who have murder in their hearts to bring about his sovereign will to offer up his son for the sins of the world. That the power of God is such that even wicked men in the rebellion against God cannot stop him. And instead, they actually bring about the will of God that they're trying to stop. Look at, look at the end of verse 1. Not only the Passover is drawn near here, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. Now, before we break all this down, we should realize here, first of all, that the the murderous plotting of religious leaders is not really something new in the Scriptures. I mean, we ran into this same uh, thing back in chapter 3, verse 6, at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus in, in Galilee. You remember Jesus healed the man with the withered hand in the synagogue, and he did it on the Sabbath, right? Uh Uh-oh. And that made the... Pharisees and the Herodians, they they were upset, they left, and they began to plot together, quote, how they might destroy Jesus. So so this is not something new that's going on here. This has been going on all the way along in the ministry of Christ. This is something that continued throughout his whole ministry. Uh, He even hid himself for a time from them, right? He left Judea and he went back up into Galilee because things were just getting too hot in Judea. And the time was not yet for him to offer up his life as a sacrifice for our sins. But now, now Jesus is going to give himself into their hands. And this shows us something about about these men who, who are plotting this terrible crime. That they really are not the ones who are in control like they might think. They're not in control of what's going to happen to Jesus. That God Himself is working out this plan to bring about the sacrifice of the Lamb. The one whom the Apostle John describes as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, this is the eternal plan of God. And this is the only plan that is going to become a reality in this life. The plan of God. Now, as we look at our text, first of all, um, you'll notice here that the purpose of the the plan of these chief priests and scribes is to put Jesus to death. It's their desire to kill him. They, They want to see Jesus dead. Why do they want to kill him? Why do they want to put him to death? Because of all the miracles he's done? Because of all the good things he's done? No, because Jesus Christ has shown them up for who and what they really are. Uh, They like to think that they were the righteous ones in Israel, right? They like to think that they were the ones who were approved by God. But Jesus condemned them time and time again. And He has shown 
many times here that they are nothing more than just blind leaders of the blind, and both of them are going to end up in the ditch. He's denounced them in no uncertain terms for their failure to recognize who he is, and he has condemned them for their hypocritical practices, right? They thought they were really shining lights in this world, right? But according to Jesus, they were really just black holes of darkness. And now they are planning once again to do away with the one who they think is the troublemaker. They want him out of the way. And what they think is that by killing Jesus, that they can put an end to Jesus. If we just get rid of him, then we won't have to worry about Jesus anymore. Because once Jesus is dead, that'll be the end of him. And that'll be the end of those who are following him. And then we can go back to life as normal. But that's not what's going to happen, is it? I mean, it's easy for us, particularly where we're sitting here in this time in history, to see just how foolish these men really were. Second of all, we learn from our text that the means that the chief priests and scribes will use to bring about the death of our Lord Jesus is trickery, right? They think they can pull the wool over his eyes. They think they're going to lead him to death. And the word that's used there for trickery means to deceive by using falsehood or lies. It has the idea of deception, entrapment. And when you think about it, isn't it really amazing that these religious leaders, the ones who try to look so righteous, are the very ones who have hate and murder in their hearts? You know, by their own rules, by their own regulations, these men were always trying to get around the law of God. But the point here is that these men really do not know whom they're dealing with, do they? They know that Jesus claimed to be God. They knew that Jesus called himself the Son of God, claimed God for his Father, and, and that by doing so, he was actually claiming equality with God. But you see, they didn't believe him at all, did they? Their hearts were stone-cold dead to the truth about Jesus Christ. And now they've come to that point where they're plotting His murder. And, and while they may use trickery and deception and lies to try to bring this about, we know that there is no plan that can succeed against our God. I mean, we know that God cannot be tricked, right? God cannot be deceived. And the killing of the Son of God will not come about by deception or by falsehood. It will only come about by the eternal plan and will and purpose and counsel of God. Now, people of God, what a great God, what a marvelous King we serve. I mean, how awesome is the Lord God Almighty? The world does not have a chance against this God of grace and salvation. The world cannot stop Him, even in the least. And what a joy and comfort it is for all those who put their faith, who put their trust in His holy name. You see, we can rest assured that in spite of everything that the world might throw at us, the world will not win. Satan will not win. Wicked men will not win. They will not even come close. And we've seen that played out in our study of the book of Revelation. Our God not only watches out for every event in history, he, He's ordained every event of history. 
Nothing's out of His control. And He will bring about His holy will though all the powers of hell are against Him. He will still prevail. The world, the devil, the wicked men of this world, they will not keep our God from His saving purposes to us in Jesus Christ. They're not going to keep Him from His plan of saving His people from their sins. Because no one, no one can stop our God from doing all His holy will. Now, beloved, here in these two short verses of our text, we, we see the truth of Psalm 76, verse 10, illustrated for us very vividly. Uh, Psalm 76, 10 says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. Think about that. God can use even the wrath of man to bring praise and glory and honor to Himself. To Himself. And here we see that God overruled the plans of these men and He brought about His own plan that really kind of came out of their devilish work, right? They wanted to put Christ to death so that they could put an end to Him and an end to all of His talk of this coming kingdom. And what, what did they end up doing? By crucifying Christ. They ended up making the kingdom of God to be a reality. They, they wanted to bring shame upon Him. By having him crucified with criminals on a cross. They wanted to make him vile and contemptible so that no one would ever remember him again. But what really happened is that God brought glory and honor and praise to his son by his death on the cross. And now Jesus Christ is exalted to the highest place. He's glorified above all, and there is no higher name in heaven or on earth than the name of our Savior. They wanted to put Christ to death in order to silence His disciples so that they would never speak again, right? And nearly what they did is they gave His disciples the text. And they gave, they gave him, them the message and the Gospel that is spread throughout the whole world. The disciples turned the world upside down. Literally, they turned it right side up with their message of new life in Christ. The gospel, the, the good news of Jesus was not silenced at all. The plan of the chief priests, the plan of the scribes, it utterly failed. Yes, they carried out their plan. They did kill our Savior. But the plan did not come about in the way that they planned and it did not accomplish what they wanted it to accomplish. In fact, God overruled it and caused the death of our Lord Jesus Christ to be exactly the opposite of what the priests and the scribes wanted it to be. Jesus is not forgotten. Jesus is exalted and glorified. And there is now no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Because you see, the, the, the plans of wicked men, they cannot stop the salvation of our God for His people. Many have tried, and all have failed. You can't trick God. You can't deceive God. Everything went off just the way the triune God had planned it from all eternity. And, and you know what's even more remarkable? It's the fact that God told us in His Word what would happen and how it would happen even before it happened. And still man could not keep it from happening no matter how hard he tried. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ 
is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. And every bit of it came to pass just as God had ordained it and proclaimed it to be. Now the last thing we want to look at in our text is not only that uh, the chief priests and the scribes were not in control of planning the death of Jesus Christ as they might think, but they were not even in control of the timing of the death of Jesus Christ. They, They cannot even make their plan happen when they want it to happen. And of course the timing of the death of Christ is very important according to the Word of God. The Word that He came to fulfill. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5-7, Christ is our Passover. And so in order to be the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world, the Lamb who would keep the death angel from entering the houses of the people of God and slaughtering their firstborn along with the firstborn of the Egyptians, the blood of the Passover Lamb it had to be shed in accordance with the command of God. There were certain, certain things that had to happen. And they had to happen at certain times. And what we're going to see is that God will bring those things to pass in His Son in spite of the opposition of man. So in verse 2, we we see the timing of the death of Jesus Christ. As far as the the chief priests and the scribes are concerned, they, they don't want this to happen right now. The Passover... Feast of Unleavened Bread, together they make up one of the three great celebrations in the Jewish calendar. It was a time when Jerusalem was full of people from all over Judea, from from all over the world, really. And so in order to accomplish their wicked deed through trickery and deceit and lies, as they were planning, the chief priests and the scribes knew that it would be better to wait. Let's just wait until things kind of settle down, until after the feast, wait till all the people have gone home. And then the chance of any type of uproar by killing Jesus, that, that would be much less. And it would all just kind of go away. And that's what we read in verse 2. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So they're determined to kill Jesus. They just don't want it to happen during the time of the Passover, during the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because that would be the wrong time for such an event to take place. It's going to be much better when things have settled down uh, in Jerusalem. And so once again, we see that the plans of men are really kind of going head-to-head with the will of God. Man makes his plans. He sets his goals. Advises his schemes. Decides when and how he wants to do what he wants to do. But what always happens with the plan when the plan of man butts up against the will of God? Man is always a loser. And it's not even close. God always wins. Always. Our God has never been defeated yet. And He never will be. And we now know that it was the plan of God to sacrifice His Son during the Passover celebration as the Passover Lamb of His people. He came to fulfill this feast. This had been the plan of God from the beginning. It was, it's not a secondary plan that, you know, that kind of came about because, well, the Jews rejected Jesus and now we got to do, God says, I got to do something different here. It's not a mistake that caused God to suddenly change his plan and have to start a new plan. This was the plan of God from all eternity. Christ must die at the Passover as our Passover lamb. And what we have here is that the covenant of redemption in eternity past is coming to reality in time and space and history. God made a covenant with Himself 
before this all began. A covenant where the Father covenanted to choose certain ones to be His very own. And the Son covenanted to die for those chosen ones and to bring them into the family of God by His work of redemption for them. The Holy Spirit covenanted with the rest of the triune God to apply the work of Christ to the hearts of these lost sinners whom God had chosen, whom the Son had died for, regenerating them, giving them new birth from above. And all of the plans of man will not stop that from coming to pass. God will save His people through the work of His beloved Son. And our God is so powerful. Our God is so great. Our God is so amazing that He can even use the plots of wicked men to bring about His sovereign will. I mean, these men thought they they could kill Jesus quietly and privately. No one would really know about it. No one would really care about it. It would all just kind of blow over, right? But that's not what happens. Jesus Christ is crucified publicly before the whole world. And this becomes the one event that changes the history of this world. The death of Jesus Christ is not forgotten in the passing of time like the chief priests and the scribes hoped it would. Some still hope it will. This is really the defining moment of history. And each new generation has been the recipient of the good news of salvation that's found only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus died, was buried. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father and He is coming again in great power and glory to judge the living and the dead. Because you see, the plans of men cannot stop the plan of God to save His people from their sins. Now, people of God, there there is great comfort for us in these two short little verses here at the beginning of chapter 14. The events of this world, even those events that, that come about by the schemes of wicked men, are not out of the realm of God's control. You know, we see things happen today and and we often wonder, why? Why do these things happen? What what is the purpose in all of this? Why does God allow such things to go on? And yet the comfort that we find is that our God can work all of these things. Things in the past, things in the present, things in the future yet to come. He can work things even from evil sources and our God can work them all together for His glory and for His purpose and for our good and for our salvation. Our salvation. The King of kings and the Lord of lords will not be thrown off His throne. He still rules. And He will continue to rule throughout all eternity. And the puny attempts of man to to try to throw off His rule, those all come to nothing. In fact, we're told in the Scriptures that the Lord laughs at the feeble attempts of man to rebel against Him. It doesn't mean that God thinks it's humorous either. What God knows is it's useless. It's foolish. It's insane to rebel against the Most High God, the Maker of heaven and earth. You know those words from Psalm 2? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. How foolish it is to try to rebel against the Lord. And yet today we see really almost the whole world, it seems like at times, determined to try to to cast off the true and living God. We will not have this one to rule over us. We have the same thing. I think this is the only other place where it says this, but in Psalm 59, verse 8, But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. Think of what a terrible sound that must be to hear the God of all power and all glory laughing at your feeble attempts to throw off His rule. It must be a sound that would put the fear of God into the hearts of the most reprobate of sinners. But beloved, there is comfort for us here. Uh, Because as we look at what we've just kind of covered, particularly in the previous chapter and all that Jesus says that we should expect as we live out our lives on this planet, as we look at all the trouble He's speaking about, the persecution to come, the hatred, the apostasy, and all those things that are going to come into this life, we can find comfort in the fact, you know, it was really no different for our Lord and Savior when He walked this earth. That He experienced all of this and more. And yet in the face of all of this, what did our Lord Jesus Christ do? Listen to those words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-25. through 25. For to this you were called. No getting around this, folks. We were called to this. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died the sins, might live for righteousness." by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Even our perfect Lord Jesus suffered in this life. And so as we face opposition, as we face persecution, as we face suffering, hatred, Our goal is not to to try to go out and raise an army, to try to pass new legislation, to make everything change. Instead, what we must do is commit ourselves into the care of our God and commit ourselves to the spread of the truth as it is in Jesus. We know that God will watch over us. We know that He will see us through to the very end. And all of the evil that this world can throw at us, it will not overcome the purposes of God in us and for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We know our inheritance is not here. It's not in the here and now. Our treasure is not here in this world that is passing away because our inheritance and our treasure is Christ Himself. And our treasure is in heaven. And that's where we want to be. We want to be with Him. And so that's where we look even now, as it says in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, 
If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And all God's people said, Amen.